0: Hello and welcome to Confronting Christian Nationalism, a podcast that allows you to hear the voices of Christian nationalism and those who oppose this dangerous movement. I'm your host, Daniel Dietrich.
1: Do you support the United States becoming a Christian nationalist country? Yeah, I do. In November, I do.
2: we're going to take our state back. My God will make it so.
1: The church is supposed to direct the government. And I'm tired of this separation of church and state. junk. obey the
2: laws of the government. Because God is a by Thank you for allowing the United States of America to be reborn. Thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists, and the traitors within our government. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's holy name we pray.
0: Yeah. What was once a fringe ideology took center stage during the January 6th insurrection, when a mob mobilized by then-President Trump, many with Christian flags or shirts, violently stormed the Capitol in an attempt to overturn the election results. In the intro, you heard a prayer by an insurrectionist known as the QAnon shaman. You know, the guy with the horns and the face paint. In it is one of the clearest messages of Christian nationalism. To take America back for God. To get rid of the communists, globalists, and traitors in the government. And using violence if necessary. But it's not just a grassroots mob. Throughout this series, you'll hear the voices of those with incredible power and influence. Members of Congress, the Attorney General, people running for governor, pastors of megachurches, all espousing why America should be a Christian nation. You'll also hear from experts who oppose this dangerous ideology. Amanda Tyler of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, author of Jesus and John Wayne, Kristen Dumay, sociologist Samuel Perry and Andrew Whitehead, activist Jonathan Wilson-Hartgrove, Shane Claiborne, Brian Zahn, Michael Waters, and more. So many incredible people helping to articulate why Christian nationalism is bad for Christianity and for democracy. Most of what you hear is from the live Confronting Christian Nationalism training seminars held by Vote Common Good in the lead-up to the 2022 elections. Pastor, author, activist, and the executive director of Vote Common Good, Doug Paget, will guide us through these clips and interviews and unpack why the threat of Christian nationalism is real and worrisome. We hope you walk away from this series able to answer these questions. What is Christian nationalism? Why is it attractive to a growing number of people? And what can churches and individuals do about it? It's a heavy topic, but one that we can't afford to ignore. Let's get started. Here's Doug Paget.
3: We're traveling about, and we're saying to people what's on this banner, faith, hope, and love, and not insurrections and Christian nationalism. Never thought we'd have to do that. Our organization, Vote Common Good, travels and asks faith voters to make the common good their voting criteria, to ask them to deepen into their sense of faith, their sense of hope, and their sense of love, and make that their voting criteria on election day for the common good. We didn't know ever that we would have to say explicitly That means you don't pay the lawyers' bills of the insurrectionists. That means you say no specifically to candidates and to other politicians who are asking for the United States to become an explicitly Christian nationalist country. There's something new afoot. So we've put these conversations together. It gets a little intense tonight, not because we're overly intense about it, but just the topic gets heavy. And there's a number of things that we're going to do tonight in our conversation about confronting Christian nationalism. We're going to try to help you leave here tonight with a greater understanding of what Christian nationalism is. There's almost everyone we meet, you know, in the circles that would say yes to us will say to themselves and to others, oh, I'm against Christian nationalism. Of course, I'm against Christian nationalism. And then they'll often want to say, and what exactly is it again? Because I'm not totally sure. It kind of falls into that, what I call the one word, 10 word, 100 word understanding. See, some things we should be able to say and express in one word. Some things in 10 words. Some things in 100 words. Some things we may want to have a version of each of those. And you kind of want to get your number right. Like when someone says, but honey, do you love me? The 100 word answer is not the best one, right? You don't start with, well, it's complicated. Let's talk about dopamine levels. Let's talk about what we mean by, right? Yes or no. So some of you have said, Not Christian nationalism, that's my answer. Like Christian nationalism, nope. We wanna help you expand your ability to talk about why. Maybe it's 10 words you'll leave here being able to say. Maybe it's 100 words, maybe it's more. But that's what we're hoping to do is to expand your vocabulary some. And also say this, we wanna deepen your sense of empathy. We're hoping that you're going to leave or we're going to get to these three questions of what can churches do or what is Christian nationalism? What can churches do? What can individuals do? And I'll I'll be a big spoiler in case you have to leave early. The what can individuals do? Deepen into our empathy and engagement. It's our best response for what we do for Christian around around the issues of Christian nationalism, because people hold this belief. You're going to find that out. You're going to see a lot of statistics tonight. You're going to hear from a bunch of experts on video and so on. And you're going to come away with a deeper sense of it. People hold these beliefs and they hold them for reasons. And they're, it's, it's much more prominent in our society than some people might come into the night, night thinking about. And these are our fellow citizens. These are not other people. These are people in the United States. These are people in our churches. These are people at our cafes. These are people that are our neighbors. This is us. And we have to figure out ways to understand the us and to move the us into ways that are going to be more inclusive for more people in more ways. I want to be really specific. When we say faith, hope, and love, we're not asking our politicians to make anyone's particular faith their legal understanding. We're asking voters to be motivated by a sense of faith. But when an elected official has to has to declare a law, has to write a law, has to vote for a law, they need to have more reasons than just their holy scriptures tell them this and such. That's not how we do laws in the United States of America. That becomes difficult for some people. We're going to talk about it in the curriculum tonight. So that's going to come up. So we want to deepen your sense of understanding what it is and your sense of empathy and ability to help people understand this. But we also want to help churches know what to do and individuals. So we're hoping that you'll leave here with some sense of understanding and empowerment and all the rest. I want to just start with this. I believe that the threat of Christian nationalism is real and it is very worrisome. There is a new strain of Christian nationalism in America. Take the coronavirus as a working metaphor. Remember back in January of 2020 when you started hearing about it, and we didn't even know what to call it? Rona, coronavirus, and the people at the beer company were like, could we please have another name for that? And then then the Delta variant came around, and then the airline people were like, could we please have another name for that one? And, And then we started to learn about the variants in a virus. Well, look, Christian nationalism has been alive and well in America from the very beginning. There have been people arguing for a more Christian nationalist country. But what's happening now is unique. There's something else afoot. We're going to talk about some of the conditions that have have bred that. So we're not just talking about a historic reflection. We're going to try to make all of our conversations tonight feel very right now. There's other people who do training on the history of Christian nationalism and the founding of the country and uh, the important work around some of the documents that we've used in the foundation of the country. We'll reference that stuff. But our issue is what's happening right now in real lives on ballot boxes and people's families and people's homes, that kind of thing. That's what we're going to try, try to be talking about. So a lot of what you're going to see tonight is going to look, uh, we wanted to, uh, um, be very up to date and very right now. Some of this presentation we're even changing daily. We've changed some and made some updates today with some new content in it because new content is coming out on almost a daily basis about this. So I think it's real and it's very worrisome. We're going to show you a couple of clips out of an MSNBC special that I stumbled onto about two months ago, maybe a month, I can't, I don't even know what, what day it is right now, we're in late October. So I think it was early September that I saw this MSNBC special and it was about a congresswoman who won a elect, special election in Texas in June in the 34th congressional district. Her name is Myra Flores, and she was in a special election and she won and it became an important election for a couple of reasons. One, the district flipped from one that was a congressperson that was a Democrat to Myra Flores winning as a Republican, which was a big deal, right on the border. And she was running under a motto that she and her pastor referred to as the real MAGA movement, which is make America godly again and it's a statedly Christian nationalist agenda. So this whole thing got very interesting to people and a lot of people have been paying attention to it. We happened to notice that was happening because a year ago when she was running for office, we were on a bike ride. We rode our bicycles from San Diego, California to St. Augustine, Florida and including all along the US-Mexico border. So it was 3,150 miles and a bunch of people in this room were along on that ride. Um, and we're going to be doing versions of that again. So if that's got your wheels spinning or something, you know, keep up with us. We'd love to, love to take you on the road with us. Um, and we're riding through this part of like halogen Texas we saw these signs that were for her, and they were God and family and faith and all these kinds of signs, political signs. We thought, what is up here? And uh, well, you're gonna see a little bit of that. So we're gonna show you three excerpts out of this special. I think they do a really great job of treating these folks with honesty and integrity and want want them to hear for themselves. That's one of our uh, intentions tonight, is we want you to hear directly from people. I'm going to do everything I can to not overstate the threat of Christian nationalism. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. We're not going to be like, if you really understood what this tweet meant, then you would really understand what they're getting at, but they're not telling you what they're getting at. We're not going to take that approach. We're going to talk about the very outward spoken things that people say and do and how they act, and we're going to deal with that. I have two friends in my mind that are Christian, that I think uh, would fit the Christian nationalist bill. Uh, And I sort of will imagine them sitting here and here tonight. And everything I say about Christian nationalism that tries to describe it and, and give its context, I want to say it in such a way that I believe that if they were sitting here, they would say, you got us right. We might disagree with you, but you're not overstating, you're not understating, you're not caricaturing us. That's really important. Deep understanding is essential to us moving on all kinds of issues. And understanding is not the same thing as agreement, right? In fact, you can't get to good, solid disagreements until you really understand. And I think until you can share uh, somebody else's idea in such a way that they would say, you've got me right there. That's an important part of it. So that's going to be part of what we're doing. And this piece from MSNBC, which is you're going to see three pieces uh, from this over the course of the night, uh, is a part of that. So here we go.
1: Flores is running at a time when Republican candidates around the country have called for religion to play a greater role in government, some of them calling for an end to the separation of church and state, some of them calling for the U.S. to become an explicitly Christian nation. We need to be the party of nationalism. And I'm a Christian and I say it proudly, we should be Christian nationalists. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. And I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk that's not in the constitution. It was in a stinking letter and it means nothing like what they say it does. We as Congresswoman Flores for her view of government and religion. Do you think there should be a separation between church and state?
2: Well, I I believe that the government has no business, you know, getting involved with the church. But I do think that the church does have the right to get involved in, in the government and letting us know. Because again, I believe that the church knows the people better than the government. And that is a fact. But I agree that the government has no business, you know, getting involved with the church. There has that to be a separation. Train of
1: thought, Do you support the United States becoming a Christian nationalist country?
2: Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I believe that we should always put God first.
3: Okay, so these are the kinds of things that maybe has gotten you in this room tonight. It caught media attention when three elected representatives to the United States Congress... Myra Flores, Representative Boebert, and Representative Green are publicly saying the kinds of things that you see in that video. We should be a Christian nation. The separation of church and state is junk, and I'm tired of it. And yes, I believe we should be a Christian nationalist country. We should always put God first. These are the kinds of things not coming from pastors, not coming from parishioners, not coming from people in seminars or in cafes, coming from elected representatives. It's going to be an important part of when we give you some definitional stuff tonight. But it's not just what people are sort of randomly saying. It's what's actually happening. And part of what got us to create a curriculum that you'll see represented on the table and we turned it into this live presentation after January 6, 2021, was the attack on the US Capitol was a outflow of Christian nationalist thinking. We're going to show you a video here of people inside the Senate dais. These are among the first people in the building. It was shot by someone who was on assignment with The New Yorker magazine. It's a war correspondent and went into the Capitol with the insurrectionists. You'll notice some famous people from that if you follow the news, including the person who's often referred to as the QAnon shaman with the horns and the vests and the painted face, is the one leading the prayer in the Senate dais. So what you're about to see here is an indication that what happened on the insur- at the insurrection was not just a few Christian flags and a couple of crosses in a big crowd, but the very point of the spear, first people in declaring what they're up to, is this message. And this is about as Christian nationalist of a message as I think you're going to see. Jesus
2: Christ, we invoked your name. Amen. 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 Let's all say a prayer in this sacred space. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for gracing us with this opportunity. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity to stand up for our God given unalienable rights. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for paying the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us in this building, to allow us to exercise our rights, to allow us to send a message. To all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists, Amen. that this is our nation, not theirs. Yes. That we will not allow the America, the American way, of the United States of America to go down. Thank you, Divine, Omniscient, Omnipotent, and Omnipresent Creator God, for filling this chamber with Your white light of love, with Your white light of harmony. Thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that yes. love You and that love Christ. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for blessing each and every one of us here and now. Thank you, divine creator God, for surrounding us with the divine omnipresent white light of love, and protection, peace, and harmony. Thank you for allowing the United States of America to be reborn. Thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists, and the traitors within our government. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's holy name, we pray.
3: Amen. Part of what makes a lot of us nervous is that what happened on January 6th, I don't believe was a one-off. I think it's a part of a strategy. And it's a part of a more militant, violent expression of Christian nationalism. Or better said, that violence is being baptized by Christian nationalist thinking as if they're on a mission from God. And it's not some fun 1970s and 80s reference that we're on a mission from God. It's people violently attacking the United States government under that auspices. So these are the kinds of things that have a number of us concerned. And we also know that people are talking very straightforwardly about the intention to utilize Christian nationalism in Christian communities to establish conservative political ideology. You're going to hear in a little bit a number of experts that are going to say to you, Christian nationalism is fundamentally a political ideology. It's not even a political party. It's a political ideology, however. And you'll see a bit of that. This this man, a- a- Abram uh, Enriquez, he's somebody who organized the work that Representative Flores did in u- utilizing churches in the Make America Godly Again movement uh, in, in Texas. And you'll, you'll hear his comments here.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about Bienvenidos Faith Assembly team? How do you all organize? In
4: 2019, Uh, We realized that to better engage and mobilize the Latino voters and to expose the message of conservative policy, the best way to do it was through the churches. Because uh, eight out of ten times, if a Latino is being outreached through the church, more than likely they believe in some of the conservative platforms. uh, So it's much easier for them to get out and vote Republican.
1: The Congresswoman started and ended her campaign in the church. How Mm -hmm. effective was that?
4: the most effective. Yeah. My efforts were able to bring that message to South Texas and say, listen, no more church lockdowns, uh, no more uh, harassment and attacks on the church. Get out and vote. Vote for someone that will protect uh, religious liberty. And that's why over, I think, 75, uh, a coalition of over 75 churches came together and said, we are supporting. Um, Myra Flores, through our congregation, letting them know who is running for office.
1: Is that a new strategy? I mean, is is it a new strategy to sort of deploy churches and pastors? No, The Democrat Party has been doing that
4: with black churches for years and years and years. And it took outside organizations like being to come in and tell churches, hey, it is your right to be involved. So if Republicans don't start strategizing with Latino pastors and churches like the Democrats have done for years with a black uh, church, uh, there will be no victory for conservative candidates uh, across the country.
1: God, family, and country. Why do you think those three words resonated so much? It is... With Latino specifically. It
4: is the heartbeat of the Latino community. You can't have moral values without having faith. Faith in something, faith in having understanding that God is... Your rights come from God and God only, right? So tying those things into a That's a, a, a dangerous thing game.
1: to say, that your rights come from God and God only.
4: What do you mean by that? Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Well, I would rather say that my rights come from God than my rights come from government. Government can take away my, my my rights. I mean, in in the Constitution, we have unalienable rights that co- that God that come from our Creator being that we have the opportunity of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that only comes from you understanding that there is a moral conscience, right? And for Latinos, that means believing that our rights come from our God-given rights, come from God and not government. And I think that Congresswoman meyer Flores is able to uh, make that a political campaign. I talked to
1: the Congresswoman. She even said that she would support the United States becoming a Christian nationalist country. Mm -hmm. Those are her words. Mm -hmm. Do you support something like that? 100%. 100%.
3: Do you support the United States being a Christian nationalist country? 100%. This is the kind of thing saying it out loud when people say they now just say it out loud, they're not just working on the sides, it's directly that is an agenda item among some people. Now, we're going to talk a lot about the spectrum of Christian nationalism, who's, you know, how people see themselves and so on. But there is a certain set of people with a very deliberate agenda politically that also wanted to be a Christian nationalist country. This is part of the reason it's in the news, why we're traveling and others, because we're no longer simply in a situation where it's a fringe movement. Five years ago, I was saying to other pastor friends of mine, don't worry about Christian nationalism. I mean, it's fringy. No one's going to do anything about it. It's not something we need to be concerned with. I don't know if I was just dead wrong or if it's just changed so dramatically, maybe a combination of the two, but the situation we are in now where this kind of thing is so common and is such a conversation point where there are people running for elected office on a Christian nationalist agenda is something that is akin to previous times in the United States history you could take yourself into the 1780s. You could take yourself into the 1870s. You could take yourself into the 1930s and see the places where those movements were also afoot. And there's another one of those happening now that's new and fresh and happening in new ways and not simply limited only to white churches. That's another movement that is afoot that we all should pay attention to. Now, I want to say a couple of things definitionally. When we talk about Christian nationalism, we're saying that Christian nationalism is, as a threat, it, it's not about people exercising their faith. It's not about telling Christians not to be active with their faith. It's not telling Christians not to be active in the public sphere. It's not telling Christians not to be active in politics. Absolutely. Let your faith drive you. Say, this is why I'm here. This is what motivates me and gets me up in the day. If that's what motivates you and gets you up in the day. It's not an issue of being Christian in America. It's an issue of the government exercising the government's power to advocate for to derive the government's authority from, or to privilege any faith. It's not about voter activity. It's about the government saying Christianity has a preferred place in America. And it is the default from which we derive our power, the thing that we want to accomplish, and the rationale for what we do. That's the difference. We live in a country where people of lots of faiths are going to contribute, where people are going to be motivated by all kinds of things. I'm so glad that I have the privilege of my representative in Minneapolis, where I live. Her name is Ilan Omar and she's Muslim. And I want her to deepen into her faith and I'm going to deepen into my faith. And I vote for her, not because we're in the same faith family or community, or agree on our religious beliefs, but because we both believe in the common good. That's why I vote for her. That's what my commitment is. But when she goes to set a law, when she goes to vote for a law, I don't want her turning just to her Quran for the only place she's going to find her inspiration to take passages from the Quran and make it the law. And I don't want people going into the Jewish text or into the Gospels. Our lawmakers need to be motivated by something other than religious conviction. Now, they may match up at times, but if you don't have a paired rationale, then you're simply putting forth a religious identity and a religious understanding. In other words, if someone says, well, I believe that God says we shouldn't murder. I'm like, I'm with you. I think we shouldn't have the death penalty. I'm an anti-death penalty activist. I agree with you. But if the only reason you think we shouldn't have the death penalty or that murder should be prohibited by people against one another in this country if you think that's the only reason it's because it comes from your scripture, then you need to come up with another reason. It's not simply enough to say my Bible or my sacred text tells me so or my church has taught me this or my faith holds to this. This is the thing we've been working at as a nation all along is where's the role of the citizenry and what, from what authority do we draft the power of the government? And the truth of the matter is we've been wrestling with this for a really long time from the founding, like let's make a constitution and then we're going to have an amendment and amendment number one is going to include separations between religion and the state, that the government shall establish no religion and shall prohibit none. Right? Right off the bat, they're like, we got it. We got to talk about it. We got to figure this out because some of the colonies at the start of our nation had a history of being for certain religious groups. Religion has played a deep sense of identity formation in the United States, and we're having to work it out. I think we're moving in a direction toward Christian nationalism that is not healthy for this country. It's dangerous for its citizens. It's bad for the faith. And it's not going to allow a government to function. We can't function under this. So we have to distinguish between these different motivations, motivations and where the, where the government gets its power. Now this group, uh, this is the Family Research Council, they had a webinar, an online webinar, but their question is, the rise of the term Christian nationalism, where did it come from and how is it being used? Right, so I'm gonna try to describe, very similar, Christian nationalism, where did it come from, how's it being used, so are they. So this is a conversation that's happening on all sides of the political aisle. There's very little politically or even religiously that I would hold in common with these folks. Now, I'm an evangelical. I come from the evangelical background, the little thin sliver of progressive evangelicals that some people don't even know exist. But there's a little, there's a little, you know, trim around the edge that we call the progressive evangelicals, the social gospel evangelicals, that crowd. But I would have very little in common with these folks. But we're at least talking about the same conversation. Talking about it in some radically different ways, though, you might say. They asked this question as a polling question during the course of their event. And the question is, what is Christian nationalism? So they did the poll three different times during the course of the event. One option is, well, I'm not certain what it is, but it's definitely not what the left says it is. Option number one. Option number two, what is Christian nationalism? A creation of the media. Number three an attempt to intimidate Christians who care about their country, or for all of the above. Okay, so one perspective is Christian nationalism, just a construction of the left, or something of the media, or some attempt to get Christians to be less Christian when they care about their country. I think there's some other options. I think it's a true, I think it's true political movement that utilizes religion toward its political ends and goals. It's been studied, and we're going to talk about all that. It's not that. I'm probably going to lean in too hard to making this point, so I'll just tell you I'm leaning in hard. It's not about telling Christians not to be Christian. But it is reminding people of faith that they're not the only ones here, and your faith does not actually give you privileged place in our society. And it shouldn't. I saw a training on diversity, and the diversity trainer, and this was on race, racial and ethnic diversity training. And the trainer said, how many of you are committed to diversity? And people are all in the room, you know, to a self-selected group. So they all raised their hand. And then the trainer said, if somebody has their hand up and could answer for us, the rest of us, when you say diverse, you mean diverse from what? And then the trainer said, if you meant diverse from white, then you're seeing that you're starting with whiteness as the default. And everything else is diverse from the default. Well, most of the world isn't considered white. So why is that the default, right? Similarly with Christian nationalism, if people believe that Christianity is the norm or they want to say Judeo-Christian life is the norm and everything else is in response to it, that's the kind of thing that starts to feel like Christian nationalism as opposed to there's just a lot of us. And we all come from different places, and there's more of some and less of others, and some have had more of a history in this country of positions of power, and some have been more excluded, but we're all in this. This is the kind of thing that goes on. And frankly, these questions that happen in this event, uh, they feel like that. So much so that we'll show you this, um, this little example. The person you're about to hear from is the pastor at the church where this came from. And I think what he says here kind of captures it, and I think it shows how some pastors find it difficult to even articulate what Christian nationalism is and why it would be a worry because they see their own faith as such a central part of the American experience. What he's referring to just before, it's only a half, less than a minute long clip, but what he's talking about was President Biden's speech, a, a speech that President Biden gave, where President Biden used the phrase, the soul of America. You might know if you pay attention to politics that President Biden uses that phrase a lot. It's part of his theme for the work that he does, talking about we have to rebuild and care for the soul of America. And this is what the pastor says.
0: It's the right and privilege and duty and responsibility and honor of the church of Jesus Christ to take care of the soul of America in the sense that we have the gospel, which is the only good news that heals the soul of America or any country.
3: So what he's suggesting is the government's role is not to care for the soul of America. It's the Church of Jesus Christ that is responsible for the soul of America. So that's the Church of Jesus Christ's job. Now, it raises a great question, right? Probably the one in all your minds. Which churches? Which expression of faith, right? The, but the question is not really which one gets to be in charge of the soul of America. It is... No religious community is more responsible. Now, a religious community might say, we take it as our duty, for us as our own duty, to care for the soul of America. But the rest of America doesn't need to agree with you about that. And that's where Christian nationalism starts to creep in, is this idea, oh, Christianity is the default. Christianity is the norm. Christianity is what really is responsible for America and wants to welcome everyone else. But, you know, as loving in-laws not as the true blood and soil family members. This is a big, big piece of what's gonna go on with Christian nationalism. Here's an example. Uh, this this just took me uh, in a way that, um, I mean, I had a very hard time from uh, election night in 2016 uh, for a few years. And this is the thing I worried about and then we heard. Now this is Jeff Sessions when he was the Attorney General of the United States of America. I'm have no, not making any claims at all about the faith of Jeff, Jeff Sessions other than to say he professes to be a Christian, and I believe anyone in any profession of faith they make about anything, so I don't question his faith in one bit. He's making comments here about the rationale for family separation at the U.S.-Mexico border, using the separation of children from their family as punitive punishment so that people will not cross the border seeking asylum. And he's talking about, you'll hear it at the end, that that's what he goes to and he, he talks a bit about that. But here's his rationale for it.
2: I would cite you to the apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained, ordained the government for his purposes. Orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves consistent fair application of law is in itself a good and moral thing and that protects the weak it protects the lawful our policies that can result in short-term separation of of families is not unusual or unjustified
3: all right so i have watched this a whole bunch of times there's three movements to that little bit one of them i agree with that middle part Following the law is important. I wish everyone in the administration would have done that and would continue to do that. I think that's really important. We should advocate for that. The things on either side of that, that family separation is not a problem and is not unusual. Oh, yeah, it is. And yes, it is, in my opinion. But that first bit, I commend to you the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, Now, look, as a pastor, I might want to say that to all of you. I might want to say, hey, we should think about the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the Apostle Paul and what was written in the book of Titus or what you're going to find in the book of Genesis or Galatians. For sure, we should talk about that because we want to go to the border and we want to help you. Yep, but when you're the Attorney General of the United States declaring a new practice of law on behalf of the United States, you don't start with the Apostle Paul. That's the kind of thing that, frankly, one of the reasons there's a new variant of Christian nationalism is because the Christian nationalists, and and I'm I'm not accusing them of this, I'm repeating what they say, have said that what they saw in the Trump administration was such clear, concise approval of Christian nationalist understanding that they feel that any attack on that administration is attack on Christianity. So they're deeply convinced that it was a Christian nationalist movement. We're going to get to that later about why people support Christian nationalism and how they get into and what it is. But this is the kind of example that I'm getting at when we suggest it's, the role of, it's not the role of the motivation of the voters. It's when the government says, where does our rationale for our law come from? You don't say Romans 13. Even if you think it, your stated purpose, your stated rationale Ought not be that. And that is such a clear violation in, in, in my estimation. Um, here's another one uh, that uh, I think will uh, we'll, we'll, we'll capture some of your attention. We
2: have the power of God with us. We have Jesus Christ that we're serving here. He's guiding and directing our steps. And in November, we're going to take our state back. My God will make it so.
3: That man is running for office in Pennsylvania, and he has declared it in many ways over and over. What we're going to do because my God is going to make it so is make biblical instruction, the law of the land in Pennsylvania. These are the kinds of things that people are talking about that are concerning. Now, one of my friends who I picture in my mind that's sitting right here, he wrote something on my Facebook post and said, God, you people in your Christian nationals, there's so many other things to worry about. It's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. All right. So if we agree on what it is, then it's fair enough for someone to say, I don't think that's a big deal. I mean, I think it's such a big deal. We drive around and talk to strangers about it at eight o'clock at night on a Thursday, you know? Yeah, okay, so I think it's a big deal. You don't think it's a big deal. We can have that conversation. But let's not try to say what that Christian nationalism is something else because this is really what it is. it is about. Thanks for listening to Confronting Christian Nationalism,
0: a podcast series brought to you by Vote Common Good. Whether it's cycling along the entire us mexico border to call for immigration reform, traveling the country in a bright orange tour bus holding get-out-the-vote rallies, or training candidates to connect with evangelical and Catholic voters, Vote Common Good is mobilizing people of faith to make the common good their voting criteria. Head over to votecommongood.com to learn more and get involved. We'd also love to hear from you. What did you learn? What surprised you? What are we missing? What do you hope we cover? drop us a note at info at votecommongood.com This series is produced by me, Daniel Dietrich at Common Good Media and our theme music is composed by Pendulum Theory. If this show has been helpful to you, share it with a friend, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, or consider funding our work at votecommongood.com Thanks again for listening and may your commitment to the common good drive you to confront Christian nationalism wherever it's found, whether it's the halls of Congress or your local church. Take care, We'll see you soon.